Welcome to the Collections by Michelle Brown Show, a show about people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality as they create change. This episode is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services. Collections by Michelle Brown. I'm your host, Michelle Brown. Each week, we're talking with people living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. Today, we're talking with Felix and Paula Searles. You know, in storybooks, we often are told the story of this love where the beautiful damsel and the handsome gent's eyes meet across a crowded room, and after romantic dates and flowers, kisses, and maybe even a carriage ride, he drops to one knee, of course, after getting approval from dear old dad, and he asks for her hand in marriage. Then before friends and family, they exchange vows, promising to have and to hold one another for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, but mainly to love and to cherish each other until death do them part. Now, we all know every relationship doesn't start out all sunshine and flowers, and many don't stand the test of time, the trials and tribulations of life, but my guest today, Felix and Paula, Good and what morning. some I know, and so you know, some might say that you two met under dire circumstances, places where you wouldn't think about finding a love story. But you not only found one another, the love for a partner, but together you you found someone who could share your passion to save lives for those living with HIV and AIDS. And so not only did the two of you not just survive, but you thrived and celebrated, but you're helping other people. I am so honored and and thrilled to have you with me this morning. Good morning. Thank you. Thank you very much. It was some enchanted evening. (laughs) You know, I... You know, and I mean, really, that's one of the things that I remember about about you you two initially. It's like, you know, when we would do gospel and so, and you two would do like poetry and singing, but, you know, it was like that connection. And often when I watch you, and I mean, I once I was, I was watching something like a video, you two hold hands and you touch each other and you have strong opinions, but under everything else, it's like the love is there. And it's just like, inspirational and it's sort of like you know like I said it wasn't it was flowers <laughs> I mean and and a different kind of way there there was that 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 look that you two have now you look at each other and I know if I can say anything else about it, that those two love each other <laughs> well when you're given a gift um, mm-hmm. you have to cherish it and uh, we were given to one another uh, at mm-hmm. the right time in the right way in the right place and so we had no choice but to honor one another. Mm-hmm. So, you know, and I know you've both been great about sharing your stories, but and I, can I start with Paula? Paula, would you, you know, because I know that there are a lot of, and, and I love my sisters, but sometimes sisters don't realize that you have to love yourself before you can see that wonderful person who's right there ready to love you. What was your journey to Felix? Wow, that was interesting. Well, that was really beautiful, Michelle. And uh, kudos to the radio station. There's so much people need to hear that we're not hearing. But uh, speaking of women in general, there was a great deal I had to learn. I had to learn that it was okay to talk about being raped and being molested. I had to learn that uh, it wasn't my fault, some of the things that happened to me in my past. I had to learn to love myself and bring myself up from a a broken place. I didn't even realize I was broken because the generations that we come from, we don't talk about 
the very things that's holding us, holding us and keeping us hostage. I also had to learn how to um, live a sober life. And when I let the alcohol go, I realized that was my, I, uh, I thought it was my uh, saving grace was to come home and have a, a glass or a cocktail or two or three or four or five, it later became. Mm-hmm. But once I was uh, diagnosed with HIV from the person who I had been with for 20 years before Felix, um, I thought that was love. And love don't hurt anywhere in the world. I don't care how you look at it. I don't care what part of the world you are. Love truly doesn't hurt. And even saying that, we did a program the other day with some young kids. Kids said, oh, yeah, love does hurt when somebody leaves you. I said, well, if love, actually love really don't hurt because you wouldn't be put in certain situations if someone really truly loves you. But you first have to love, learn how to love yourself. And once I learned how to love myself, I was able to open up my heart again and allow Felix to love me. Mm. And in Mm. my opinion, he was my gift, Mm. my rainbow, because I was willing and ready to give up. And I tried. And God said, I'm not ready for you yet. I got to bless you before you leave here. And in doing the things that I was supposed to do by taking better care of me and loving me, He just guided my path, and my path led me to a place where uh, Felix was working with people living with HIV, and um, he he is and was the greatest advocate of all times. I call him GOAT, the greatest of all, (laughs) when it comes down to getting people uh, to really, really live the best life that they can ever live by just taking care of yourself and just being you as a person. And I was learning some of those lessons along the way. Till um, I can remember going to that support group after the person I had gotten infected by had died and trying to patch my life back together. And he was a good-looking chat, of course. (laughs) (laughs) And uh, when I got there, you know, he was just helping everybody, and I just wanted to really help him, you know, and he was one that allowed... uh, me to uh, just be myself, and I found so much peace there. I didn't want to go home. I wanted to go wherever he was mm. because he was such a gentleman, and he worked in that field. He told me to go home. You, ma'am, get on the bus. <laughs> you need to, you know, I, I'm, I, you know, I work here. This is my job, and as God would have it for me, they lost their funding three months after I started going. <laughs> 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 All right, talk about the Lord working in mysterious ways. Okay. So I tell people really honestly, you know, it was a bad thing that the support group split up. But thank God uh, at the time they split up, a church helped us out. And I want to call that church um, Pastor Franklin. I can't think of the name of the church right now. It was Darlene Pastor Franklin's church? Darlene Franklin. We, was, we went oh, was there it full in the truth? interim. What was the name of it, Michelle? Full Truth. It was Full Truth Ministries on, I believe, mm-hmm. Story Road. Yep, that's it. Mm-hmm. And they let us come in there in the interim. And I, I felt lost, but, you know, lo and behold, uh, he could talk to me afterwards. And mm-hmm. he came to me later and said, you know, I know I can't talk to you. Well, he said, well, now, since we're, lo- you know, losing our funding, he said, can I call you after this? Oh. I hurried up and gave him my number. And the rest was history. Mm-hmm. But again, like you stated, you know, it's not all peaches and creams and flowers, but every time the Lord allowed a flower to bloom, I can remember the days when I almost gave up my life and wouldn't have seen it. So I'm overwhelmed and overjoyed as a result. We've been together 20 years, mm. and we, we, we try to live each day as if it was our last. And not only only do we live like that, we try to encourage our, our family. And we don't encourage them. We just do it. Most mm-hmm. folks do what they see you do, not what you tell them to do. Mm-hmm. So we just try to live the love that we want to see. And it's just that easy to some degree. Now, Felix, I mean, and that says so much about you. And, you know, and I've heard you speak, and you talk about men manning up, you know, and, and being that – and here you were, I mean, you went, you've had an, uh, I mean, you got to that point of being of service to others and helping them. And 
can you tell us about your journey to that and when you saw her? Did it like, you know, it was like, wait a minute, this is this woman here, you know? I mean, and and when you knew that, what gave you, made you know in your heart, okay, I need to talk to her. This is, this is the future. Well, first off, um, I have to say that uh, when I was diagnosed, I was given a year to live, and um, mm. the doctor said there's nothing we can do for you. Um, you know, you, there's nothing that we can do, and uh, you need to get your life in order because you have about a year to live. And so um, uh, that doctor has passed on, and 36 <laughs> years later I'm respectable and, um, and, and living, amen. Mm-hmm. So, but God, uh, so, you know, um, uh, doctors know some things, but they cannot uh, dictate everything. And so anyway... Um, uh, learning about myself and how to live with and not die from um, the virus was extremely important, especially at a time when there weren't uh, a lot of medications. So um, I had to decide to live or die. And when I chose to live, I had to find healthy ways of taking care of myself. Um, and one of those ways, giving back is a very healthy way of healing. And so I learned, so I started giving back to others who were in worse condition mentally, emotionally, physically, spiritually than I was. And in doing that, it strengthened me. So one of my children asked me, um, was very worried about me being positive, and they said, I'm worried about you. And I said, well, you don't have to worry anymore. I will move here. I will move mm. next to you because um, you are, you know, I don't want you to worry about your dad. And so I moved, and in moving and keeping my word to my children, my whole life um, was blessed. Um, at three days after I arrived here, I... Uh, uh, found a, 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 an apartment. Um, one week after that, I found a wonderful job um, in, in, in the field helping people and facilitating groups for people who were positive um, through Wayne State and, uh, and some of their programs. Um, so when Paula came in, when my wife, <clears throat> uh, when, when my wonderful queen came in, mm. Um, she was depressed. She was de- holding her head down. She hadn't changed her clothes for a week, and she was in uh, in a very depressed condition. And so I just I just grabbed her hand and held it, and told her that she was going to be all right. And I told her my circumstance that I'd been positive for 15 years and that she was going to make it. And I could feel a spirit in her. You know, there's another thing. There's a thing about looking at people and looking into people. You know, when you're looking at their spirit, not their physical mm-hmm. envelope. Um, and so I felt her spirit and I felt her soul. And I knew that that was a beautiful soul locked inside of a lot of pain. And so um, one of the things is that I believe that if you, if you care about someone, you have to help them heal. You have to unpack those suitcases and uh, hang them close up. And so... Um, um, in that process, the first thing I did was say, I want to know you. I want to know everything about you, and I'm going to tell you everything about me. And, um, you know, I also believe that a man never has to lie to a woman uh, unless he's afraid of her or, um, or, or is not being honest, being true to himself. So, you know, I was honest about who I was, where I had been, what I had done, and... Um, and so, therefore, she had to open up about who she was, and I had to accept who she was, because that's a part of, of communication and love. Uh, I felt from the moment I saw her that she was trouble. Mm. <laughs> mm-hmm. When I saw her, I said, oh, no, Lord, stay away from me. This one right <laughs> mm-hmm. uh-uh. And, I, and uh, even though I would not let her know, she would volunteer to stay and help, and I wouldn't let her and so forth because I couldn't under the job that I had. I, I had to, to keep my personal life separate from my professional life. And so, um, and I didn't want to take advantage of any client that I ever had. So it was very important that, yeah, I had feelings for her, but I could not let her know 
what those feelings were. I glanced at her and I said, boy, she is fine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but I could never let that happen. And so after, uh, as God would have it, as things uh, progressed and uh, we lost funding, uh, then I was able to say, look, I really would like to talk to you uh, outside of, of, of work. And, um, and, and our relationship started. I uh, was a man of my word, and she was a woman of, of her word. And um, uh, we came together, and the first thing that we did, we would uh, uh, talk about what we had been through, about our lives, our experiences, our pains, our hopes, our fears, um, and, you know, and start to heal one another. Um, you know, when we get into a relationship, it is to help one another to stand on our own two feet because many times we're crippled and don't even know that we're crippled. But my whole thing is you have to throw everything uh, out of the bed before you get in it. That means that you have to take those pains and fears that could cripple a relationship and heal the relationship before you totally get into it. You know, Felix, I mean, because you talk about, you know, how you have been involved with doesn't, but that strength that, that when you hit that point, that, you know, Paula talked about learning to love yourself, but it, it's, it was like you hit a point too where it was like, you know, I'm going, you know, I remember I was reading one time how you said how, you know, you had somebody had come by, they had lined up the lines of crack, and you said, no, you need to leave, take that with you, and I, and you needed to, you needed to turn that corner. And, you know, I know you tried to be closer to your family. You had health issues, but it was like that inner strength that you got and what you were able to say to yourself. What was that? And then was that something that then when you found here dealing with people who were coming in who in many ways were broken, that you were able to to, to reach into that point? And what were you able to, to draw from your own personal experience to let oh, them know Lord. that they were loved. Yes. Well, first off, um, uh, I believe that God uh, lets us roll around in the dirt so when we stand up, we know what it is to be clean. Mm. Meaning that I experienced life and I had been through things, uh, that I went through things for a reason. You know, you can take your misery and turn it into your misery. Uh you, you know, you take your ministry, your your misery, and you turn it into your misery, your ministry, because it's so important that you have known what you have gone through. For you went through it for a reason, you know. So I went through depression, substance abuse, came out of that, and once I was out of it, it was over, you know. But I was able, but through that, I've been able to assist other people that have been in substance abuse. My main thing is that um, I clinically died. I had bronchiectomy, meningitis, and I died. And when I came back to life, I was not happy because I thought I had escaped this world, this envelope, and that my spirit was free. So when I came back and and God wasn't ready for me, I had to say, Lord, I got to learn to live all over again. You know, so, you know, God has jokes. He says, either you're going to live and make that commitment to live, and in living, you have to help others live. Um, because that, that is a part of true living, is to give back. Um, and so because of my depression, of my fears, of, of, of my weaknesses, I was able to strengthen other people because I first strengthened myself and came out of them with God's help. Um, and, you know, there's a thing about uh, when you go through stuff, when you go through experiences and, and hurdles, you learn to love yourself and see that you can make it through. Uh, faith is a wonderful thing, but faith in self is, is so empowering. And, um, you know, it's hard to love someone else if you don't love yourself. So I had to learn how to love me and that I was perfect in my imperfection. Mm. You know, and that God had made me perfect. See, we always think that we're imperfect. There's always something wrong with us. But the fact of the matter is all of that is beautiful and all of that is right and correct. You know, and so when I saw my wife, I saw beauty. When I saw my wife, I told her after we were together just for a little while, I'm going to marry you. Don't say nothing right now, but I'm going to marry you because I know that you were sent to me. You know, sometimes I didn't go looking for her. You see, Mm -hmm. 
I, I, I didn't get her out of a catalog, make her up or go online. God put her in my life and in my space, and I knew that that was my that she was my gift, and I had to treat her like the gift that she is every day, not just one day, not at our beginning. You know, um, I could have chosen. And when we met, I had had a girlfriend, and and uh, and and I told her. You know, and I says, look, I'm getting ready. For, you can be number one or you can be number four. And when she said <laughs> number one, I fired everything else, and I made her sit on the couch and listen to me on the phone tell them that it was over. Wow. <laughs> uh, wow. Go ahead. Go ahead. Uh-huh. So you knew he was the real deal, right? He had you sit here and listen to me. I'm telling each and every I'm done. Uh-huh. Wow. You know, what, what really got me with him is, you know, you go through life, and I used to always see couples hold their hands. And in my view, that's what true love was all about, that we really love each other. And, and, and it was just a couple. And everywhere you look, you, you, you're in a relationship, but you don't have that. Mm-hmm. And I lived in a 20-year relationship prior to that was messed up. It was tore up from the floor up as, as if, you know, one of the sayings is, I was a dressed-up garbage can. I was pretty on the outside and with so much trash on the inside. It was just pathetic. It was killing me. And then I met this angel. The first thing that he did then that he always does now, he was honest. Mm. It wasn't about diamonds and pearls and jewelry and cars. and It's not that he didn't have it or couldn't have it. He decided not to have a telephone, uh, not to have a television. When we dated, we was on we were on the bus, and that mm-hmm. felt like I felt like a sixteen year old kid mm-hmm. meeting him at the Renaissance and going to the show. So, as he stated earlier, you know he he was a man of his word, and I fell in love with that first and foremost. If he said, I'm going to meet you at the African American Museum at 3.15, he's going to be there at 2.45 mm, mm-hmm. waiting on me. Mm-hmm. And if I wanted to change my mind, I couldn't call him. <laughs> uh-huh, uh-huh. So I have to be the woman of my word. And I had to go and meet him. So instead of me going to cancel a date, I might as well show up mm-hmm. and show up. Now- when you showed up at, at when you came to the program, and you know, like you said, you know, you you'd been in a long uh, a long term relationship that had been, yeah, you know, bad, and here you were, what what back in the day? I mean, we know it's more now, but when people give you that that said HIV, it was like you know, start writing out your will and testament and getting your things in order, but you we walked in there, I bet you finding. Love wasn't even on your mind. It was not on my list of things to do. I was going to be a nun. I wasn't going to give none and didn't want to get none. <laughs> <laughs> I had already made it up in my mind. I told God that I wouldn't be, I wouldn't give another person what I had. I wouldn't knowingly infect another living human being. I'm not doing it. So I really went there for help. What, you know, how I know it was God for me and him it's the first phone call I made. It was on a Friday. And when I called to set the meeting up, the paperwork I used was uh, my mate's, the one who died. That was all of his paperwork, the numbers, and mm-hmm. everything that I used belonged to him before he died. He never used them. And before I cleaned up the house, I said, let me, this paper just fell out. And it had the phone number to the meeting, the time, and it offered three things. Uh, one-on-one transportation and food and so forth. But anyway, when I called there, this guy answered the phone, and he took all of my information and said he wasn't going to send me a cab until Monday. And I had already contemplated taking my life. I said, well, since nothing else is working, I'm just going to wait till Sunday. I'm going to jump in the middle of the river at Belle Isle. The current will take my body and toss me somewhere. And then my kids wouldn't have to worry about finding me because I am a diva. I was wondering yeah. how to die cute. That saved <laughs> my life. Is that crazy mm-hmm. or not? <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But it's so crazy, but that was my thought. How would I die? Do I put a bullet in my head? I couldn't figure it out. So as I'm having those thoughts, I go sit on my porch, and here comes a cab. 
And I don't know whether it's for me because he said it wasn't enough room. But anyway, lo and behold, I get in anyway. And I'm talking to God, Lord, when I get there, it's going to be people I know. And he's saying, if it is, they got the same thing you got. Go get what you need. Mm. And I found out later, after I got to the meeting, we had the first meeting and all of this, when Felix and I talked many years or months ago, could have been years, he said, you know, I walked in on the counselor who took your call. He said, and he wasn't going to send you a cab. I said, well, what happened? He said he asked him, who was that on the phone? And the counselor said, oh, some new lady. Mm. He said, is she newly diagnosed? He said, yeah. He said, did you send her a cab? The guy said, no. He said, because we're too crowded. I'll send her one for Monday. He said, she may not make it through the weekend. You need to send her a cab today. Wow. That's my love story. Mm-hmm. You know, I tell you. That's um, my surprise. That's mm-hmm. God changing things around unbeknownst to me. Mm-hmm. That's how we worked out in my favor. And I hadn't looked back. People, you know, they say you pray and, 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 and faith without works is dead and all of that stuff and pray and keep looking forward. I had no looking back because I was afraid I was going to turn into a pillar of, a pillar of salt. So my faith told me to keep walking because good things is in front of me. Mm-hmm. I had no turning back. This lady told me at the AA meeting, I said, I met this gentleman at this other meeting. And she said, well, if I was you, <laughs> mm-hmm. I wouldn't talk to nobody and da-da-da-da-da. I said, yeah, yeah. And I got home. I said, but he's so sweet. He's so kind. And I said, you know, but you're not me. And you have already settled in your life to not be with anybody. I'm too young to let that go. Mm-hmm. And then I also said, I like being in a relationship. I like the company and the companionship, and I like how it makes me feel, and I'm sober, and I enjoy mm-hmm. his company. But what that lady had told me was just a suggestion. You either take it or leave it. Mm-hmm. And I left it. Mm-hmm. So I know that there, <laughs> that there were nine children. I don't know how many grandchildren now. 21 grand. Uh, how many great? one great grand uh, Mason. <laughs> I, I saw that. So the nine kids, okay, how did they feel about you two watching this romance blossom and develop? Lord, we, you know, we took a lot of pressure off of them. Thank God you got somebody. (laughs) (laughs) Lord. But they had to get to know us and one another, um, Mm -hmm. and that's a process, and we have to be patient. with. We were patient with them, and we brought them in slowly. But all of them have lived with us. Uh, at one time or at some point or another, their their children have been with us. Um, mm-hmm. You know, uh, sometimes it was nine in, in one house um, uh, living with us. So we've been very blessed. Um, we have a blended family. They're all our children. You know, I, we don't have any stepchildren, half-children. We mm-hmm. have our children. And mm-hmm. they're all ours, and we're very proud of them. They, um, uh, we gave them love, and they gave us love. Um, you know, some have worked in the field with us, and some still do, and some have moved on, and um, uh, we're very proud of them, and they're very proud of us and what we do because we've also been honest with them. And my thing is, is that um, we don't want what happened to us to happen to them. So we needed to be very honest with them about what we were going through and why and how it happened. Uh, but the the bottom line is that no matter what you're going through, you can still love and find love. Um, and so that is the main, main, main theme that runs through our family. Um, you know, we laugh, share, and, uh, and still live our lives. And sometimes they even forget that we are um, uh, that we do have a virus, but they mm-hmm. do know that we're always positive, positive in life and love and living in love for one another, and we teach them through our love how to love themselves and how to love one another and how to have a positive, healthy relationship. You know, Felix, one of the things that I like about you is you often talk about and to, like, men. And, I mean, and... Yeah, you didn't take the easy path, you know, but one of the things that it seems to me is like what your message is like, you stumbled 
but you got up and you're stronger, but you learned and you became the man that you are today. And they don't have to go through all these steps, but like the man that you are today. And do you ever have like, do you ever see somebody who you see like, oh, oh, they're heading down that pathway that I was? How do you intervene with them? Or what do you try to at least plant in their mind so that they can get to where you are without going through some of the hard times? Well, you know, the first thing I have to say is that all we can do is plant seeds. You know, mm-hmm. I'm I'm not God. I can only plant the seed, and it's up to people to take that up. Um, but it doesn't mean that you don't stop trying to plant the seed. Um, you know, I was I did a program called the Jimadari program, Wise Companion program, um, in substance abuse tr- centers across the city for males, and. Um, and many of those graduates have come back and showed me how they have prospered over the years. But any male wanting to be a man has to come to a place of comfort and satisfaction within themselves and deal with their demons and their nightmares. You know, for so many males, uh, there are resentments that they don't even know that they're carrying, especially when it comes to male-female relationships. Most males are raised by, by mothers, not fathers, so they don't know what really being a man is. Many of them don't even know how to stand up and go to the bathroom uh, mm. because of the situations that they have been raised in. So to educate them on that, that it's okay to be in those fears and, and to have those fears and to have been through those, those things, but that it's not okay to punish a female because of what they have been through, and it's not okay to punish themselves. And, being, and what does it mean to be a true male? When I came up as a male, uh, I was taught by other males that you had to have conquest as many females as you could. You had to, had to have that plantation mentality where all you to be a male was making babies. Uh, to be a male was uh, being able to to control, uh, and since we and since especially as African American males, we had so little to control. Controlling women was a huge issue, and was one of the few ways that we could feel empowered. And so, to change that whole mentality, um, to change that whole hate that we build up toward one another. You know, many males don't, can't even communicate with one another, so we have to teach communication. We have to teach self-love so that they can love other males and really understand the historical aspects of their being as well as the spiritual aspects of their being. So in doing that, that most people, if you take time to sit down and talk to them one-on-one and show concern and care for them, especially males, they will respond. Um, I've found that over and over again, that most males just want, they want the same thing everyone else wants. wants. They want to be loved, they want to be respected, and they want someone to educate and help them and show them another way. And part of showing another way is living another way. It's not just talking it, it's walking it. That's beautiful. Okay, we're going to take a short break. And um, I want to get back and talk about your other passion, the work that you do, and in so many ways. So we'll be right back. This is Collections by Michelle Brown with our special guests, Felix and Paula Searles. This episode of Collections by Michelle Brown is brought to you in partnership with the Center for Peace Counseling and Holistic Healing Services, bringing balance to your mind, body, and spirit. For more information or to schedule an appointment, visit the Center at www.thecenterforpeacellc.com. And we're back. If you're just joining us, I'm talking with Felix and 
Paula Searles. I mean, Felix, when, when you were closing and you were talking about that, you know, I set up a little prouder, you know, of, look at this, listen to this black man talking like this. And, you know, and I heard what Paula said. You were a man of your word. If you, you didn't have a phone number, you didn't make all the excuses, you didn't set things up. If you said you were going to be there at 3, you were there at 2.45. You know, I mean, like you said, she was there. She wanted to stay. And even though you were attracted, and you know, some brothers would have said, well, yeah, you could say, you, told, you know, you need to go home. You know, you need to go home. And, and you did that. And there's something about that. And, you know, often we get sort of caught up, like, in, in stuff and things yeah. that, that, oh, well, I'm a man. If I've got this big car, I can't take them out unless I've got this big car. And you treat them like crap. But you've got a nice car, you know. But the yeah. fact that you were a man, you were a gentleman, you saw her in her pain but also in her beauty and her potential. And that is so important, not only just like in male, female, but in being human. I mean, I hear so many things about that. Yes. It's not using the pain against her, but but understanding that pain to heal her. You know, Mm -hmm. and we also have to hold each other accountable for our actions. And males and females have to be accountable for their actions. You know, and and that is a learning process. For every action, there's a reaction. I don't want to hear excuses. I want to see advancement. It's okay to make a mistake because mistakes only help us learn and grow. And so it's all right to make a mistake, but it's not okay to keep making them. So we have to so to become honest and responsible for what we have done and changing that to make it so much better um, helps all of us. And when it comes to, um, especially when it comes to women, women want to help us, they want to support us, and here we come with our little two kids trying to fix everything. Something <laughs> men can't fix, they just need to shut up and listen. Um, mm. You know, and sometimes listening is the best thing you can do. Um, you know, yes, we want to be able to fix situations, but some things we can't fix. Uh, but we can help by listening and loving you know, um, uh, and it, it's so important that we don't always have to be in control. You know, I used to call myself a control freak, and then I had to learn that, you know, God, God got jokes. Okay, fool, you think you're mm-hmm. in control, let me so, show you something. So when we, when, you know, so when you give up, you become free. And when you allow another person to be themselves, it is so much easier than trying to make them into what you think they should be. Now, you know, the two of you, with what you're doing, you're like, I know you've gone into churches to talk. And I said, and if you weren't living your truth, I mean, people go, oh, look, this wonderful couple. They found each other. They've got this splendid family, and they're going, and they're doing it. And then you come in there, and you drop some knowledge on them. I mean, I know I saw a, a video where you're at one program, and Paula, you're talking about, you know, part of like we don't want to talk about rape and molestation in, in, at home, but we also don't want to use the correct terms. We don't tell our kids about their body so that they know if somebody is doing something that that's wrong. And like I said, churches, they don't want to hear that. You know, they talk about it, but they don't want to hear that. How did you find, you know, decide, you know, we need to do this. This is really important. And what has been the reception to and why that message about telling our kids the appropriate names for parts of their body so that they know something is wrong when it's happening? When you talk to your kids, first and foremost, we also suffer with OLD, getting old. (laughs) (laughs) So when you talk to your children um, about the correct terms, just imagine if your three-year-old had been touched inappropriately and you take them to court and the judge say, well, what did they touch? And the the kid say, my cookie. Mm. Now, if you really hear that term, you can't prosecute on a cookie touch. Mm -hmm. You can't prosecute on a he touched my sugar bunny. 
you know, so if you teach them the right things to say the legally, terms. the anatomical terms, then you could prosecute. I wished I had known that when I was four years old and touched inappropriately. At least I could have had the voice to talk to my parents. But in that age and time, uh, we were not allowed to talk about sex or anything to that degree because we were taught that what goes on in this house stays in this house. You were mm-hmm. to be seen and not heard. So when you mm-hmm. would touch inappropriately, you couldn't tell. Uh, if you did something and you wanted to tell your truth, they didn't want to hear you. Mm-hmm. And so we drink about it, we, we, you know, and they wonder what, what happens to you later. And for me, I'm a preacher's kid. I'm a PK. This is so ironic that I have an opportunity to go inside a church and talk about the very things that stopped me from being the greater woman that I could have been. Had not been touched early on in life, and it had been taken away. You know, I think that it's it's really great too that you guys are going to just. I know I went to a church, and it was during you know HIV awareness, and I mean, great minister. And actually, it turned out later on because we talked more about it. But when he was in the pulpit, he was talking about they and them mm-hmm. outside the church, mm-hmm. and about being compassionate to right. them outside the church because they were doing all this wrong and getting infected with HIV, you know, but there were, and I said, you know, some of these people might be sitting right here. In front of you, exactly. You know? Yeah, we have so many horror stories, Michelle, about, Mm -hmm. you know, hey, I'm a preacher's kid. The first place I want to go and get some love and healing is at the church. But if I'm afraid to walk in there because I'm afraid of being judged. So who better to tell this story from a preacher perspective or preacher's kid and my brother's a minister too so when you ask me to speak you're asking me to give you the gospel the gospel is the truth Mm -hmm. (laughs) so i'm just giving you my truth and Mm -hmm. some people will receive it greatly and some of them don't want to hear because they want me to talk about uh the gay folks and you know and i said well they're not i'm not gay and i have hiv what that got to do with anything Mm -hmm. and one time we were asked to go to the church and uh our our job is to educate folks and to talk about how to prevent it that's my only job and this one minister lady was so angry that i didn't preach uh hell and damnation because uh i didn't you know well you need to preach the the the, the gay out of them i say, well that's not my job mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's not mm-hmm. why we're here and, and you said, I'm positive, no gay to preach out of me. No. Thank you. And, and matter of fact, I'm, my job is to love. Mm-hmm. I want to love everybody, anybody. My heart is open. And so this, if the doors of the church are open, they're open to everybody, period. And this should be a place of healing. That's what the doors of the church open should mean. So under the law, the law, if you, if, if you go to court and you don't know the anatomical parts of your body, you cannot try the case. The case cannot be tried. Children have to know the anatomical portion, parts of their body, so that they can defend themselves or otherwise it does not apply legally. Uh, when we look at churches, churches uh, throughout our history have been a great place of teaching, of, of, of feeding, of meeting, and, and, and gathering empowerment and we have to continue that process you know uh, we're, we're we, we in our in the 20th century we have gotten into the church business uh, a lot of times and the church is the people not necessarily those that control the edifice but it is the people that come to attend and um, and the ministers are the shepherds and the shepherds protect the flock, and one of the things that protects the flock is knowledge. So when we go into a church, we're going there with the blessing of knowledge to give to people to protect themselves, and also the knowledge that will help those affected and infected. That means the family of those who have become positive as mm-hmm. well as positive person themselves. Also, it is there to protect people who are not positive to stay that way. And many times that means that they need to change their undercover processes, what they do outside the church and after the church. Uh, what they do in the church, sometimes some people go to church to flirt. Some people go to find a wife or a husband, mm-hmm. you know. Uh, they go there for many reasons, and most churches that I go into, I see unmarried, unmarried pregnant women. Now, how mm-hmm. does that happen? 
So, yeah. you know, we have to talk. So sexuality is going on. You know, we find people of same gender loving uh, in, in situations that are negative. In other words, violence is being done um, to them by, by even their loved ones. So, you know, we have so much going on. This is the place to talk about these realities within the church because this is a part of uh, a segment of society. This is this is a mirror of society, our churches. So what better place to show love and education than in the church? Now, Felix, you know, a lot of people, they lose their funding. It's like, oh, well, you know, I'm going to go out and find a J-O-B. But you kept doing the work. I mean, you kept doing the work. And, you know, you found actually a church that went into uh, and that housed you, and then you kept doing the work and you kept doing it. And you've done a lot of other things, but this passion about HIV and AIDS, which I mean, it's like really so important because it's not gone. You know, it's not gone. You can thrive and survive and live well, which I think people also need to know. I mean, I love the fact that the doctor told you you had a year, you're still here. And, you know, and that needs to be, be talked about, but also because you can, that, that people need to know that it's not gone and how do you prevent it and if you've gotten a diagnosis to get beyond the stigma, get beyond the fear and live. And do you find that you're as busy now as ever? <laughs> Amen to that. Well, uh, you know, I retired from the health department. Mm-hmm. And I find that I'm busier now than ever before. Um, as, uh, you know, the, epi- the, academ- the, the pandemic has really, um, uh, it changes and it goes through spirals and so forth and ebbs and flows because of politics um, because uh, less less information may be given at a certain time, but it's still here. People are still becoming positive. My thing is to get in you virus, not to get on you virus. If a person doesn't have it, they don't have to acquire it, but they need to change some behaviors to make sure to protect themselves. Uh, and a person who does have it can live with it. There are there's prep pre-exposure prophylaxis. Mm-hmm. For those who are at high risk, um, not only sexual workers, but people who may be promiscuous or may be in a situation where they have to, where they're forced into sexual situations. But there's a pill called PrEP that if they're negative, they can take to protect them and keep them negative. You know, there are things out there now to help, to assist people. Instead of taking 20 pills, you can take one pill a day um, for people who are positive. But still, it comes down to the fact that we have to honor our bodies, that our bodies are temples, and we have to learn how to protect our bodies and what comes, goes into our bodies the same way we need to protect it and, and know what food that we put into our body. And when we engage with someone else, that is a spiritual connection that is either going to help or hinder us, and we need to pray and be aware of what we need to do to protect our society. Uh, HIV education is still lacking in our communities. The churches is a great place to give that knowledge. At the same time, people are still closeted. They are still hid. They are still worried about being uh, castrated and, and, and talked about. You know, they're still worried about the stigma of HIV. And many, you know, there's a lot of talk, but there's very little education around HIV in a lot of our communities, and it's used as a weapon against than, uh, than, than a tool to heal um, in our communities. You know, because I had talked to a fellow, and he was like, he knew he probably should get tested, and, and, but he was so afraid of the stigma. I mean, even now, like he said, like, well, he said, well, he could go, he knew that if he went into one place, that people would know. Yeah. So he said, well, maybe if I park my car way over here and walk. And, he, and, you know, and he was going through all of this stuff to, like, you know, wear a hoodie and I can go on in here and come out. But it's like that stigma. And to have people who are out there who are not, like you said, how many years has it been? It's not, you know, you're going to get it today and be gone tomorrow. That, that how do you live and how do you do you thrive and and be stronger and better from it and then also 
even though you've gotten that diagnosis, like you said, you, you respect, you love, you take care of your body as a temple. And, you know, I mean, with the health department, you know, now you see Herman Kiefer is gone, and you see all these, these budget cuts and how they, they think about it. You see what they're talking about, health care. You yeah. see this conservative Ben who wants to, like, all, again, almost like put the stigma back on. How important then, I mean, what are the avenues? What are, besides churches, I mean, where should be, I mean, where are you looking for people to be able to go and learn this message okay. about it? Well, there are support groups. There are uh, community-based organizations that um, uh, are also available for people to go to to get information, whether they're positive or not. Also, I think it's extremely important that we teach people how to advocate for themselves going to the doctor, asking for tests to get tested, because a lot of people won't offer people, uh, a lot of doctors and clinics won't offer HIV testing unless the person asks for it. And also, Mm -hmm. not just HIV testing, but if they're engaging in any form of sexuality, they need to ask for STD, sexually transmitted disease testing, so that they're checked for everything. It's okay. So I would love for everybody to have a uh, little paper that shows that they're USDA certified. Amen. (laughs) (laughs) Mm -hmm, mm Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and also we have to teach people to advocate for themselves when they go to the doctor. I know so many people are afraid to tell what's really going on with them when they go and and what their true situations are. Um, so we have to advocate for people and, and also for seniors. Seniors still engage, and seniors mm-hmm. are uh, becoming positive at a very high rate because, uh, oh, they ain't doing nothing. Well, they're doing plenty, amen? On the 1st and 15th, uh, the fellows are, mm-hmm. are engaging with generally younger people, and the rest of the month they're with other seniors um, as well. And, and also seniors get lonely. And mm-hmm. so one of the ways that they engage is sexually. And then you have this little pill called Vi- Viagra and Cialis to assist them, but it doesn't come with instructions. Mm. <laughs> so, so when we talk about community-based organizations that are there to assist people, um, and we have online services, go to the library, read up. Um, you know, it says that, you know, you have to study to be approved. And, and so... Um, going to libraries, learning about uh, what's going on in the field, uh, what HIV is, how to protect oneself, you know, um, uh, you know, through blood uh, and fluids, bodily fluids that um, um, uh, carry high doses of of, uh, of cells. I don't want to say everything on the radio, but I but I do want uh, you to know that, that that there's a very few ways to get it. It's to get in your virus, not to get on you virus mm-hmm. so it's not going to get it by touching hands by kissing by hugging you know you have to do something to acquire it so my thing is is that if you learn to take care of yourself there is um, very little chance that you're going to become positive because there's enough information that we have out there uh that will protect folks but everyone doesn't have you know have have that option if a person is molested or if they're spirit is taken from them through through molestation when they're very young then their body's not their own because it's already been taken from them so their actions are not their own not that they're being fast so it's not to blame people but to heal but to you know what does this person need and where can they go to get help and this the community-based organizations uh there's about five in the city right now that are really good the health department um is not as large as it used to be, and it is um, in in a couple of different places in the city, um, so that the services are different. Um, and now there's also copay services where it was used to be free. Um, but the uh, community-based organizations and the health department there is still um, uh, some privacy there, so that you can go if you're afraid to go to a doctor's office and get t- tested or to talk to a doctor about what you're really going through. Also, uh, we go into churches so that we can educate ministers so that they can really, uh, and, and, and we provide testing in those churches because I'm also a certified tester and counselor and phlebotomist. I was a paramedic and licensed beca- uh, vocational nurse before. Um, and it is very important that we educate uh, clergy uh, how, to, how to assist people who are positive and to help them and to help their families. Um, 
you know, not just to uh, call a person up in the, in the front of the church and pray for them because they may not want everybody to know their circumstance. It is, it is how you really minister to people that's important. So we want to go into churches to educate and to do free counseling and testing for them. Uh, and, you know, we are funded through the state to do that, which is a blessing. Mm-hmm. You know, I think that, you know, it is something, and, and I think that that's the other thing that I love about you, too, is like through your example, I mean, you have this ex- beautiful family. I mean, children, grandchildren, great-grandchildren. And when you see many people who think, oh, I'm like separated from my family, but here you can have all of this, you know. So it's not like it's an example and to help other families sort of heal and how do they move and deal with you've got a family member who's who's made positive you don't ostracize them how do you heal this whole family so go ahead we do a support group on tuesday night for um Mm -hmm. folks that are positive and their loved ones um Mm -hmm. we've run that support group for 20 years uh, it used to be at the church. Now we do it at a at another facility, um, and they allow us to come in free to do our support group. And we don't charge. You know, it's not a fund. It's a it's a self supporting group because we want people to learn how to be self supporting and to learn how to feed their own selves and grow their own crops, which means grow love and spirit within themselves to maintain themselves. Okay. With that, we're going to take another quick break. Um, with our guests, Paula and Felix Searles. When we come back, I want to talk about, you know, gospel against AIDS, the work you're doing, the support groups, and get that information out for people so that you can connect. So we will be right back. Collections by Michelle Brown airs every Thursday at 7 p.m. You can subscribe now and listen to the podcast on Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitcher, or SoundCloud. Be sure to like the Collections by Michelle Brown Facebook page and mark your calendar so you never miss an episode. Okay, and we're back. Um, okay, you provide, sir, I mean, you're out. I know that you're doing a lot of speaking. You go to churches. What are the Searles up to? <laughs> Where should, what are the Searles up to besides looking like so much love? And um, what programs, the support groups, where do people go? So, Michelle, this is Paula. Um, Hey, Paula. (laughs) So, yeah, um, we do a lot. But the one thing uh, we know about working in this field, you can get burned out very quickly. Mm -hmm. So one thing we learn, first and foremost, is to work and play. And play, and we try to get things done. Wherever we are, we try to have some fun in the interim. We have a support group. Um, it's called Positive Support Organization. We've been working with Gospel Against AIDS since 2003, which allowed us to have uh, to go into at least eight churches right now currently, providing HIV testing at least once a week or, excuse me, once a month or twice a month. One of those churches is Spirit of Hope. We provide free HIV counseling and testing. There's another organization that provides uh, medical assistance to those who have no insurance, and they feed them. We try to find wherever the community is in need. That's where we show up. We're mm-hmm. also um, at another church once a month, uh, New Beginnings Cathedral. Uh, that's on the east side of Detroit on Maross, or excuse me, Moraine, and Beacon. Beaconsfield. And then we're at City Covenant on the west side of Detroit, and I love that place because they also have the Forgotten Harvest. So they Mm. see at least about 150 people who come in for food, and while they're sitting there, we're providing HIV testing, and another group is providing free medical care, Covenant, uh, I think it's Covenant House. But our phone number to get in contact with us is Mm 313-341-5989, and that's Gospel Against AIDS, and you Mm -hmm. can leave a message for Paula Searles. And we can also uh, probably direct you in the path in which, or you know, direction in which you want to go. We work with unif- We work with almost every HIV agency. At some point or another, we that's what we do. Uh, we work with Unified. We work with Help. 
We work with the Community Advisory Board Group at Wayne State. We work for Midwest AIDS Training and Education Center. We have been longstanding members with NBLACA, NBLCA. NMAC. NMAC. (laughs) 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 And uh, we really try to work on our latest achievement is trying to work on the criminalization of HIV. Decriminalization. Decriminalization of HIV. So we're trying to work on those laws. You know, they say that HIV is a manageable disease. And, stigma index. Uh, so we're working with stigma index to just make some of those things happen. Uh, what else do we do? It's, it's, it's so much. Okay, now, you know, I... I believe that pe- that people should also tie to help make the community being being what it is. So, what can people do to help that work? That is great. They can offer donations, in kind donations, and they can call me at that number, and uh, we can explain to them how that works. We also have a website, and we also have a website and a Facebook page. What's the website? Yep, uh, with Gospel Against Days, we have a Facebook page. Okay, so Gospel Against AIDS has a Facebook page, and um, give that phone number. Yep, it's 313-341-5989, and that is good to know. I know uh, Felix was talking about places for our seniors. We just did a program, and we were on the senior panel, and it's just a miracle to me because I didn't think we would live this long. And with living this long, you know, you have other illnesses. Uh, the medicines messes with your cardiovascular system and your liver and your uh, your kidneys. And, mm-hmm. you know, you talk about family and love. I love our family so much. I had an issue with my liver. And I can remember when I woke up, my daughter was standing over me, and she said, well, I know there's something wrong with your liver, so I'm going to see if I can get a match and I'm going to give you a piece of my liver. I said, hold on. Oh. Yet. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I said, but before we get there, you guys are going to have to, you know, if you get to that point. But just hearing her and our kids surrounding us with that kind of love, yeah. that mm-hmm. makes us go further and further and further. Because I have to, uh, I want to just be there for them. I want to see my great-grandson drive. <laughs> mm. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <laughs> So in order for us to do some of those things, we also have to live a healthier life. You know, and also there is a, the longer a person lives with HIV, the, they still have to encounter everything that a other, another person lives with. They still have to pay bills. Uh, they still have to have to deal with their loved ones who are ill and who are not positive. You know, there's survivor guilt. There's all mm-hmm. of these things that, that go on. Um, so having a having support groups is extremely important um, for people, as well as um, as being able to have safe places to pray and and to um, uh, meditate in, and have prayer and and spiritual support. Uh, Gospel Against AIDS. Um, Rosalind Worthy is the executive director, and um, you know she came into the field um, just wanting to help, and sometimes just wanting to help the spirit will lead you where you need to be and so you know the whinings and so forth uh, really helped her and really assisted her in where she needed to go to make this uh, group which is now funded through the state and uh, we're testers for you know so just doing a little um, you don't have to do it all but just doing a little helps so much in the field there are so many people uh, who are not getting services out of fear um, of society and and the consequences in society that they're not getting the support and help that they need so uh, yeah those are the ones that we're always trying to look for and support and help mm-hmm. you know well we're coming to that to end of our time together and you know I think that if you wanted to talk about a love story and and what love is supposed to do? Love is also supposed to empower you to be be bigger and greater, and that's what I see in you too. Um, you've come a long way. Now you're a great grandparent. <laughs> if you were if you were to go back and to to see a younger Paula and Felix, and they were to say to you, well, you know, 
what's our life going to be like, you know, can we have this, what would you say to them? Live, love, and be happy. If you want to get even, be happy, you know. Mm. Don't be afraid to live. Don't be afraid. Always laugh. Always laugh and look for the best in everything. Um, enjoy your life. Travel. Live. The God gave us the universe. God gave us the world. Enjoy it and be a part of it. A younger me, um, <laughs> we we talk about this often. I look at my husband and I go, you know, I wonder what we would have been like if we were younger. We probably would have been crazy. <laughs> mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But I still believe in my heart we still would have been helping because the person he met is the person I have always been. Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. had come to that conclusion I'm no different than who I was when I first met that first 20-year relationship that turned me upside down. I allowed him to change, make me change some things in my life that I was not, I comprom- you know, I didn't compromise. You know, I allowed him to, if you walk this way, you got to do this, you got to do this. Because I can distinctly remember when I, when he died and I had to go shopping and Felix and I was on a date and I had to go to the, the store to find uh, something to wear. I was in there in tears because I had been in a relationship for 20 years with somebody and I dressed according to how they wanted me to dress. So I didn't know, I didn't have me. I lost me. So I would tell my young self to hold on to the you that you are. Yes. And keep her because she is vitally important. And know that love does not hurt. <laughs> love mm. is kind. Love no. is 100%, not 50, not 49, but 100%. Wow. Well, with those words, I mean, that, that is, that's it. I mean, and I'm going to tell you, I love the way you love each other. I love to see when you're talking how one of you will reach out and the other one's hand is right there. Um, that in itself, I mean, if more people saw that, you don't have to do a whole lot of flowers and words. That one simple action says it all. I want to thank you for being with me today. Um, I look forward to seeing you. Paula, I don't know what you're doing, girl. You keep looking better and better. Girl, where's that fountain of you? Hey, that doctor told me, I, he, they said there was nothing that they could do. Hmm. I said, but mm-hmm. it's something that God and I could do, and that husband, he got it mm-hmm. next to uh, stirring it up. And we've been eating healthy and been on it. You know, that's love right there. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So I, and, I you know, yeah. and, you know, and I'll tell you, and to bottle that look he has in his eyes when he looks oh. at you, girl, we'd be rich. <laughs> we'd be rich. But, you know, I love you both to pieces. I love you, too, and we do have we to get together you, very, very soon, and I mean it. Okay, and I thank you for proving that doctor wrong, Felix, and for <laughs> and for you two living, loving, and continue to be happy. Thank you, Michelle, and keep this radio station going because we need to hear more of it. Well, thank you, thank you, thank you. So you guys have a great weekend, and um, until next week, folks, um, I look forward to talking to you same time. every We come on every Thursday. You can uh, never miss a show by subscribing to Blog Talk Radio, iTunes, Stitchers, or SoundCloud. That's for Collections by Michelle Brown. And join us next week when I will introduce you to another amazing individual or couple who are living between the lines, standing boldly in the crosshairs of their intersectionality and creating change. That's every Thursday right here on Collections by Michelle Brown. Thank you and good night.